The reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Let's pray that God will speak. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you are a God who speaks. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you know what it is to be human, to be tired and hungry, to be weak, to grow up in a family, to be tempted. Come by your Holy Spirit now and speak to us through your word, through the words that I say, perhaps directly to each of us. May we hear you speaking to us today and give us grace, we pray, to go where you lead. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some sermons are intended to be, uh, have a sort of laser-like focus on one main point and the preacher zooms in and no one is meant to be in, in any shadow of doubt what's being preached or being asked. Others are a bit more like grape shop where the preacher just sort of scatters stuff out there and hopes that some of it st hits the right target. Today's somewhere between the two. I've got four points. Actually, I've got loads of points, but I'm pretending there are four headings. So it's a bit grape shop-like. And my prayer is that the Lord will help you hear the thing you most need to hear. Uh, we're in the season of Lent. It's a chance to look at our own disciplines, uh, how our relationship with the Lord is growing, uh, what we need to do a bit more of or a bit less of to help that happen. And for each of us, that will be different, and there'll be different aspects to that. None of us can focus on everything all at the same time. So let's just pray and ask the Lord that he would help you hear uh, the thing of this that is most important to you at this time. So first main point or area. Uh, if you are in a difficult time, it does not mean that God has left you or abandoned you. Jesus is here in the desert, hungry, tempted by the devil, but he is there because the Holy Spirit has led him there. Look at verse 1 of our reading. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
He's just been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, an extraordinary high point. Uh, he's left the carpenter's workshop in Nazareth. It's the start of his public ministry, and he's heard the father say, you are my son whom I love, and I'm so pleased with you. And straight away, he's led by the Holy Spirit into this very, very difficult time. It quite often happens after a spiritual high can be a tough time. Uh, we're in a world where night follows day and winter follows summer and there are rhythms and seasons. And there are tough times of our life. All of us will know times of joy. All of us will know times of great pain. Uh, it doesn't mean that God has gone on holiday and left you alone if you are in a difficult season of life. Jesus had this difficult season. He was led by the Holy Spirit there. He was in touch with his Heavenly Father there fully. But it was difficult. I was preaching about this a bit on Ash Wednesday, that we face battles and blessings on twin tracks, often at the same time, difficult seasons and God's blessing. Sometimes the difficult season seems to be the main thing. Sometimes it's a real sense of joy and God's favor. Usually it's the two things together. But God has not abandoned you. Uh, quite the opposite. God is doing something deep in Jesus in this time. Presumably Jesus is praying through how his public ministry is going to work out. Presumably he's thinking through the calling of disciples, teaching, healing, and beginning to think it's going to lead to the cross and the way to the cross. And some of the temptations he faces are to avoid the way of the cross and take shortcuts. He's praying it all through. The result of this period, uh, the last verse that John read to us, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I don't think I'm reading too much into this. He goes in full of the Spirit. He comes out in the power of the Spirit. I think Luke's making a point here that it's often in difficult times that God takes uh, the fullness of the Spirit he's given us and works it through into every aspect of our character so we become more spiritually potent. We can do more. Just having wonderful encounters with God is not enough. There are plenty of people in Jesus' day who encountered him and then walked away. Being filled with the Spirit, it needs to be worked through. So God's Spirit is fully at home in every part of our lives. And it's often difficult times uh, that this happens. Uh, St. Peter uses the image of gold being purified by fire. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Uh, talking about difficult times, he says this. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. So your faith in God is very precious, more precious than gold. And God allows difficult times to be one of the things that purifies your faith. Uh, quite a long time ago, I heard a talk on this where someone had met a silversmith. Same process, purifying silver as gold. Great vat of silver or gold and a, a furnace heating it up. And the dross comes to the surface and then the silversmith or the goldsmith would scoop it off and heat it up more. More dross comes to the surface, scoop it off more. Uh, the chap doing this talk had been talking to the silversmith and he said to him, how do you know when you've done enough? And he said, when I can look in it and see the reflection of my face. Now that is what God does to you and me. He allows difficult things to come our way because he is at work making us more like Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's in the good times. 
Sometimes it's in the difficult times that we take the next steps in becoming more like Jesus. But he purifies our faith. As St. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that in all things, and Paul has been talking about some ghastly things, sin and sickness and suffering and death, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And he goes on to define the good. It's not our comfort or our having a happy time. It's God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the good God's working for in you and me is to become more like Jesus. And if you're facing a difficult season, can I encourage you not to moan that God's left you, but to pray, Lord, I know you're there. Psalm 23, even in the darkest valley, you are there. Jesus has promised, I am with you always. Lord, I can't particularly feel you or see you, but I know you're there. Help me to trust you. Work this for my good. Give me grace to hang in there. God has not abandoned you. That's the first point, and I'm in danger of making that a full sermon, so let's move on. Second point or area, uh, fasting and spiritual disciplines. Here is Jesus. He's in the desert. He's fasting from food for 40 days, which is about as long as you can take it. Uh, water is available. There are uh, streams through that desert from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Uh, he's drunk, but he's very hungry. Uh, this is a period of real, really significant spiritual discipline, and it's in relation to this 40 days that the church over the years has come up with the period of Lent, the period between Ash Wednesday and Easter. I remember as a boy counting up the days and discovering there were 45 or 46 days and thinking they didn't make a very good job of that then, did they? Uh, but apparently Sundays don't count because they are feast days. There, like Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. So when my daughter remarkably some years ago gave up well, it wasn't Facebook then. I think it was MSN she gave up. But anyway, it was taking up all her time. She gave that up. She binged on it on Sunday afternoons because Sundays were feast days. I'm not sure it did her any good, but the, the giving up of the MSN did. The idea is that there's a 40, for 40 days, whether or not you want to include Sundays, we ask the Lord, is there a spiritual discipline I can take up? Or is there something I can give up? that will help me grow stronger spiritually, that will help me grow closer to you. Uh, when you go to a gym, uh, the idea is not that you do every piece of equipment, unless it's a tiny gym with only three or four bits of equipment. Normally they have vast numbers of equipment. And someone will talk you through and they'll say, what are you trying to do? Do you want to grow stronger in your arms or your legs or, or your tummy muscles or whatever it is? And different bits of equipment will be helpful to you. The point is not to get good at the equipment. The point is to strengthen you physically and get fitter. The point of spiritual disciplines is not to be good at spiritual disciplines. It's in order to help us fight against sin and be more like Jesus. So uh, for those of you who aren't very good at saying no to temptations, it's good to do things to strengthen your no muscles. Uh, my no muscles, if I see something nice to drink or eat, are not very strong. So last year, uh, I did... I went water only for the whole of Lent. I discovered Lent is really long. <laughs> but anyway, I did it. I'm doing something different this year. But it was good for my no muscles uh, as well. There's an idea of giving up some things. Now, it, in the days when food preparation took forever, giving up a meal gave you lots of time. Uh, these days, you can put a microwave meal in in five minutes and be done with it. Giving up social media or YouTube 
or choosing not to read the paper or listen to the radio or watch the telly till you've prayed. That sort of discipline may make a real difference to you. But the idea is that if you're more activist and your life is full, you give up something and make space for prayer. If you're more contemplative and have lots of time, that you take up something, acts of service, generosity, doing things. And for most of us, it's a bit of the two. For Jesus, he's fasting for 40 days. Uh, and uh, just uh, worth picking up on the notice I gave earlier, if you've never developed a rhythm of reading the Bible and daily prayer, that is one of the key spiritual disciplines. It's not enough. We need to meet together, big church and small groups as well. Uh, but if you've never done that, do pick up some of the leaflets at the back, and I hope they'll help you. So that's the point of fasting. It's not meant, it's not meant to be an annual campaign to give up chocolate so you look good in your bikini in the summer or whatever it is that's not what it's about uh, there was a time actually my mum fasted um, really she was trying to lose weight and in God's little joke she put on weight during that time which I think was quite funny I'm not sure how that happened but God's not fooled by this we do it for if you're doing something for physical reasons fine do that that's fine but the idea of Lent is to develop our spiritual muscles give up something in order to take up something Bible reading and prayer, small groups, acts of service, whatever. Uh, you will find as you do this that temptation gets stronger. Jesus faced the full force of temptation and never gave in. Uh, we will all be tempted by the evil one who wants to wreck our relationship with God. Now remember, Jesus has just had these reassuring words, if we put them up at his baptism, chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And the devil starts his temptations, two of them, by if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. He's just had the voice, audible voice of the father telling him. And the devil's coming to make him tempt. I've never heard an audible voice of God. I've read the scripture. I know those whispers of the Lord. As will you if you've been a Christian any length of time. If you have repented of your sin and bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord, he has forgiven you your sin. He has put his Holy Spirit in you. And you have been adopted into his family. You are his son or his daughter. That is the truth. But the devil will whisper in our ear, to try and get us to doubt that, or to try and make us earn his favor, to do more. We can't earn God's favor. It's a gift. It's grace. We receive it and need to trust it. Uh, but you probably all know that voice in your ear when you do some things you're not proud of, and the devil whispers, oh, call yourself a Christian, and you're rubbish at this. We need to resist that. Jesus faced this temptation full on. And there's three aspects to this in these three temptations. The devil tempts him to do stuff that isn't what God's calling him to do. Take these stones and make them bread. He's meant to be fasting at this time. The devil tempts him uh, to, I will give you more stuff. Bow down to me and I'll give you all of this. He wouldn't have done. The devil's a liar. He's wanted to be worshipped uh, like God is uh, for a very long time. And Jesus resists that one. The devil tempts him to court popularity. Go and jump off the temple. Uh, the devil misquotes scripture at him. 
The devil probably knows his Bible better than we know ours, so yet we have to be careful to make sure we read it in context and don't let it be twisted. That those three temptations are very modern. Do more. Have more. Uh, what others think of you is what really counts. So if I, any of those three things are part of your identity, I am what I do, or I am what I have, or I am what other people think of me, during this Lent it might be good to meditate on the truth of Scripture about who God says you are. You are his son. You are his daughter. He is pleased with you. Not because you've done stuff, but because of who you are. Uh, some of us are tempted to define ourselves by what we do. In our society, you meet someone, hello, what's your name, what do you do? <laughs> it's the first thing we say. Now, for someone who's ill or unemployed or not able to do what they'd want to do, that's really debilitating. The truth is we are who God says we are. And we do that out of an overflow of relationship with him. I sometimes wonder what it will be like when I get to retire. How much of my identity is bound up with being a vicar? Uh, I'll only find that out when I retire. But the goal is that my identity is who I am in Jesus, not what I do. Uh, so when I retire, it's just wonderful. <laughs> That's a long way off yet. But now's the time to work on make sure my identity is not what I do. Uh, for some, I am what I have, our possessions. The world shouts at us that we need more stuff. Uh, we sell, you know, the government's more worried about the economy than anything else. We have more in our society than any generation's ever had, and all the happiness indices, I don't know how they measure them, are down. We heard last week from the folks who've been out to Notdeck in Uganda, the children who have so little have such a joy. We have so much to learn. If you are in any way defining yourself by what you have, then the spiritual discipline will be to give more away. Or a rather nice family in our last church in Hinckley, they needed to replace their car. They rather liked their car, so they bought exactly the same model and exactly the same color. Uh, and their brother-in-law, who was rather more superficial, said... How dreadful that was. How will anybody know you've got a new car? <laughs> like, like, like that's the point. Uh, but we, some of you will face this temptation. For others of you, it's the popularity one. I am what others think of me. We live in a celebrity culture. I read the other day that a vast proportion of our teenagers want, just want to grow up to be famous. And yet when you look at the people who are famous, so many of them are miserable inwardly. There are some glorious exceptions of people who are truly happy, and that's wonderful. But having more stuff, being more popular, doing more, isn't going to help your identity. Our identity needs to be rooted somewhere more substantial. And it's the fact that we are children, sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. Now, there's other ways to look at the temptations. I'm sure Jesus is tempted to take shortcuts and not to go the way of the cross. Uh, and you may want to focus on that in Lent and pray that through. But if any of those three ring a chord with you, take some time to make sure this Lent that your identity is rooted in who you are in Jesus. Uh, next area. Jesus answered every temptation with Scripture. I don't know if you noticed that. It, the temptations come. Jesus answered each one. It is written. This is what's written in the Scriptures. And they all come from a few chapters in Deuteronomy. If you have a Bible in your hand, you'll notice the footnotes. We can't do that on the screen so easily. 
Jesus answered the first temptation. This is verse 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. If you've got good eyesight, little footnote B, Deuteronomy 8.3. The second temptation, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Footnote C, Deuteronomy 6.13. Third temptation where the devil twists scripture. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Footnote E, Deuteronomy 6.16. All of his answers are taken from a few chapters of Deuteronomy. Now, what's going on? As a boy, Jesus would have had to study the first five books of the Bible and probably learn them, and he probably knew this. Uh, But he may well have, before he went into the wilderness, read again the story of the people of Israel in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is Moses preaching to the people of God in the wilderness before they preached the promised land about what God's taught them in the wilderness. So Jesus may have gone up to the temple or to synagogue and got the great big scrolls out and read them again and learned some of it. He certainly didn't have an iPhone with uh, the U version of the Bible on in his back pocket or a handy Bible like this. He'd learned it. There is no substitute, not just for reading scripture, but for learning it. The Anglican Collect for Bible Sunday prays, help us, Lord, so to read it, to mark it, to learn it, and to inwardly digest it. That's the idea, that it becomes spiritual food for us. That's the whole idea between the, about behind the notes that I wrote for last year, that you do it in a slowed-down context, just meditating on a bit, letting it go deep. There are times to study big chunks of it, that's fine. There's also times to really let it become part of you, deep down. Uh, When you do that, there are tremendous promises in Scripture. Let's put up Psalm 1 about uh, what happens when we meditate on God's Word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the Word of God. They meditate on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. It's a lovely picture of a tree putting its roots deep down. So even when the streams dried up, there's still some moisture deep down. And meditating on the scriptures is like that. If Jesus did that, how much more do we need to do that? Uh, Or St. Paul puts it this way to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it goes on to say, so the person of God can be fully equipped for every good work. If you want to be fully equipped, if you want to be trained in righteousness, it's the scriptures that will do that. So take time to meditate on them. That's why we preach on them from every week. Uh, This matters. As I said before, if you haven't yet established a daily time to do this, this Lent would be a great time. Uh, For many, first thing in the morning. For some, last thing at night. For busy mums, the first lull of the day is what Juliet always recommends. For those of you who travel around in your cars, listen to it. You get the Bible on CD or pull in by a lay-by and have some time. Whenever it is, make time uh, to listen. Uh, So four main areas. If you're going through a tough time, it doesn't mean God's abandoned you. God often does his deepest work in us in the difficult times. Cooperate with him, trust him, pray for grace to hang in there. Uh, Fasting and spiritual disciplines. Have a chat and pray through. Is there something I should give up? Is there something that takes up too much time? 
Someone last year said to me, I shan't name them, but uh, uh, someone among our 20s and 30s group, which narrows it down to about 100 people, I think, uh, said, I've just been clocking how much time I spend looking at YouTube videos. You won't believe how much time I've got. <laughs> I do believe it. Time can be made if we give stuff up in order to take up something that will do us more good. Uh, think about your core identity. It's not going to feel better by doing more, having more, or listening to what others think of you more. It will lead to a deep contentment, trusting who God says you are. Uh, and that's the meditating on scripture. Uh, I shall stop there and we'll turn some of this to prayer. Um, I wonder if you'd stand and if the band or those who are playing the next